Good morning. Well, as uh, Darren mentioned, today is uh, the first Sunday in Advent. Advent is a four-week slowing to prepare our hearts to receive. It's a four-week unclenching so that our hands and our hearts are available to receive Christ the King. Christmas, uh, as you know, in our uh, high-pressure, high-intense, highly scheduled, um, uh, begins uh, someplace in the middle of October. Um, I walked into Lowe's a few weeks ago, and there were all of the Christmas decorations and all of the things and the Christmas carols. And I just, I don't, I, I think part of it's growing up in Canada. I need snow. Uh, that would be helpful uh, to, to let me know what time of the year it actually is, although I don't need to live in snow. I just need to be able to visit it every once in a while. That's good enough for me um, now. But, but what ends up happening, and you, you know this, uh, we saw this, this, this weekend with the, with the backing up of quote-unquote Black Friday until it bleeded over, it bled over into to, to late Thursday night. With the excuse given by the, the, the CEOs of the, of the companies that the consumers demanded this. And the truth of the matter is the consumers didn't demand this. Your competitors were doing it and you needed to match what they were doing. So let's be honest about what's actually happening there. Um, and then uh, it was unsafe to go out on the streets without your pepper spray on, on Friday, apparently. Um, unless, especially if you're going to go to Walmart. Because, you know, that Xbox 360 is worth dousing somebody for. I mean... And I wish I could say, I wish I could say that we can all stand back and say of those people, those people. Truth, unless we really are hard uh, in training our souls, we become those people. Do you know what I mean? Because we're not different. There is no real difference. We define ourselves we're not very, very careful and very attentive to this, we define ourselves by what's in our hands. We define ourselves by the cars we drive or the clothes we wear or the, the people we hang with or the, the job we have or the, the doing that we, that we do, the having that we have. And the problem with that is that you're, you lose the sense of, of what it means to be a person, a soul, beloved of God, and we have to kind of push back against the relentless consumerism of, of, of our culture. And so, in this Advent season, uh, four Sundays uh, devoted uh, to a, a, a practice of slowing. And over the next four weeks, then, we're going to be looking at these topics today just worship as preparation. Worship is preparation, simplicity. Uh, generosity and love as as kind of the themes that will frame our slowing and our advent uh, advent journey and so i 'm going to invite you to just kind of allow yourselves to take a deep breath in this season and and kind of resist if you can the the kind of the the pressure to to let your your gift giving define be defined by by, by what I call guilty generosity. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a couple of weeks. A lot of us uh, find ourselves heating up the credit card because we haven't made phone calls throughout the week or the month or the year, right? We're, we're apologizing at, by the gifts that we give. 
Um, and, and instead of instead of uh, letting generosity flow from a heart that has been has 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 been shaped, uh, we're 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 stumbling over ourselves, right? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Um, but in in the middle of this, then worship um, kind of is a is a as a gateway, and I, I love the fact that it's on this Thanksgiving weekend. The first Sunday of Advent always almost always falls on the on the Sunday of of Thanksgiving uh, weekend because Thanksgiving is entrance into worship, which is entrance into Advent. So we'll be looking at those those twin themes this morning. I'd like to look at a text of Scripture, though, that you've probably, if you've been in the church for any length of time, have spent some time in before. It's Romans chapter 12. Most of you may already have this memorized at some point, verses 1 and 2. Um, what, I, what I want to try and do in this Advent season, and particularly in this sermon this morning, uh, this conversation this morning, is, is invite you to think about worship as entrance. Worship as, as recalibration of our souls. Worship as preparation. So, so worship is a way of coming and, and opening our hands so that we have capacity uh, to, to receive the Christ I think it's fascinating that God, who could have come in any of the many forms uh, that were available to Him, chose to come in the form of a baby that required us to pick Him up. Did not demand, is a passive recipient of our picking Him up. I I think that's that's significant. And, And in that moment, we are trained to realize that this is what He invites us to. He invites us into, a, into a, 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 a place of receiving. So that's where we, we, we look today. Romans uh, 12. I'm going to get to it in just one sec. If you got, you got it, there's a couple of Bibles on the sides. If you need one, please feel free to, to, pick, to pick one up. Romans, as you know, uh, or maybe you don't know, uh, is written by the Apostle Paul. It is a fundraising letter. Uh, Romans uh, is a missionary appeal letter. Many of you have written them as you've gone maybe on a short-term missions trip or something to, to family and friends, and you've wanted them to give you uh, financial support and prayer support as you went to do that. Well, Romans functions in that way. Paul has planted over the last few years a number of churches in Asia Minor uh, and is now setting his sights on the other side of the Mediterranean in, uh, uh, in the country of Spain. And conveniently between where he is in Greece and where Spain is uh, lies Italy. And, of course, Rome being uh, the, the kind of the center of the universe at that time as part of the Roman Empire. Paul is going to be going through Rome on his way to Spain. And he wants the church that has recently been established in Rome to help him prayerfully, but also giving him financial support uh, as, he, as he makes his way over to, to, to Rome. Or rather, to Spain. So, as part of his preparation, he wants them to know who he is. And so, he writes this letter that unpacks what his gospel is. He writes this letter that tells them, uh, uh, kind of pushes back against some of the rumors, the false understandings of what the gospel of grace means. You'll hear him over and over again say, grace doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. Grace means that sooner or later, our souls will be shaped so that we can do whatever we want. 
because that's the nature of grace. We, how, do, how do we learn to live with responsible freedom except by l- learning to be free? And that's kind of where the gospel un- uh, uh, unpacks itself through there. So chapters 1 through 8, he is kind of just celebrating this wonder of the gospel. And then he ends chapter 8 with kind of this huge doxology in three beats that just is overwhelming. It's at the kind of the apex of the letter almost, in which he just celebrates the love of God, which is relentlessly at work uh, for good. In and through all circumstances. Again, Paul is not saying all things are good. He's saying God is at work in all things for good. He doesn't make them happen. But now that they have happened, he is able to take that and make wonder out of it. Take that dirt and make beauty out of it. Do you you see? Um, And then he ends with this celebration of the love of God from which he says nothing can separate us. Not famine, not torture, not, not even death can separate us from the love of God because in Christ we are now more than conquerors because He loved us. So this hymn of the love of God at the end of Romans 8 sets us up for the beginning of Romans 12. We have three chapters of parentheses in which Paul is dealing with the theologically sticky point of the, of the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, what happens to them. And then chapter 12 picks up the scene from chapter 8. I hope I'm not boring you yet. It's hopefully not going to get worse, but you never know. Um, so anyway, so 12, and the reason I say that is because the first verse in chapter 12, go ahead and, and, and put it up there, you'll notice is, is, a, is a therefore. Right? And whenever you see a therefore, you've got to figure out what it's, and it's therefore pointing us back to the end of chapter 8 where he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's love for us, in view of God's redeeming love, in view of God's endlessly creative love for us, embodied in His mercy and His grace, I beg you. So let's read the text. Therefore, I urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the question that sets us in frame here as we move into this Advent season uh, and, and the kind of the, the, the focus of our conversation this morning is, is what is worship? How does it work? And you'll notice that Paul begins by reminding us that first of all, worship is response. When we worship, and by the way, I need to, I need to underline here and, and we'll make this point kind of over and over again. Worship is not the 30 minutes we sing on a Sunday morning. That is part of worship, but it is not the worship that he is talking about here. In fact, I will, I will make, try and make the point that, that if worship is not a whole life discipline Monday through Friday, you don't have a song to sing when you come on Sunday. Worship is on Sunday morning in that 15 or 30 minutes when, when, when our worship leaders 
uh, are, are kind of cheerleaders, right? Because you're not the audience for their performance, right? We are the choir for an audience of one. We bring our offerings, our songs sung throughout the course of the week and our work and our relationships and our decisions, and we take advantage of the songs that have been written, the music that is played, to lift those songs to the Father in, in a kind of a microcosm of what we've been attempting to do throughout the course of the week. That's, that's what happens on a Sunday. And, 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 and then that worship opens up a door for the continued worship that follows out. So life, Paul says, is to be lived as a whole offering of worship. And you'll notice that he begins here by telling us that worship is a response. Nothing we do is initiating anything. God has already acted to initiate. All we can ever do is respond. We are not ever actors. We are always reactors. He has acted in grace and mercy. We respond. So Paul begins, first of all, in the, saying, this is the platform. God's grace, God's mercy is the platform we stand on when we worship. So the, first of all, worship is response to God's active mercy. But more than that, it is a whole life reorientation. Because when he's talking about here offering your bodies as living sacrifices, he is, he is referring to the, to the physical body. Uh, and it, and it, it, it's significant that Paul's doing that as he writes to the church at Rome, because Rome had a culture of intellect and a culture of heart. But the belief was, I can, I can uh, 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 get my head around worship, I can get my heart around worship, but at the end of the day, what I do in my body doesn't matter that much because it's going to go back to the dust from which it came. What matters is what I think and what I feel. And Paul says, no, if you don't have your head and your heart and your hands aligned, that's not worship that is going to ultimately be reshaping of your soul. So he invites us to, to step in to a reorientation of our whole lives as received and lived in the, the, um, uh, the mercy of God and our whole body, mind and heart being part of that offering. So when he says there, offer your bodies, he's talking about your soul, your whole being. Remember, we've suggested in the last couple of weeks that soul is comprised of those five dimensions. So we turn and we offer up all five of those dimensions, social, intellectual, emotional, uh, physical, and spiritual. We offer up the whole person to God. And you can start to hear already how this can't just be about the songs we sing on a Sunday morning. This has got to be about how I treat people on Monday morning, how I respond to the cashier on Tuesday night, how I deal with an employee or an employer, how, how I negotiate any and all of those relationships. That is whole dimensional, whole life reorientation in, 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 in worship. It's an offering that's offered up. And then he says, this is your spiritual act. The, the Greek in behind that is, in my view, at least better translated, rational. This is the only life that makes sense to you. This is what you were built for. This is the only thing that makes sense. So this is your rational act of worship. 
Paul is kind of reminding them that this is what we were built for. This is, the, the, this is how our lives were built to work. They don't work very well any other way than this way. He's going to make that point again at the end of the second verse there. But at this stage of the game, all he's inviting us into is an awareness that we are, we are shaped by, uh, by the mercies of God. We are reframed by the mercies of God. We are, we are recalibrated. Our whole lives get, get turned and reoriented. And how many of you know that you can get pretty tweaked in the course of a given week? You can get out of calibration pretty easily, right? So what worship does is on a regular basis, it recalibrates us, it readjusts us so that we are heading in magnetic true north. We are, we are heading in the right direction. The, 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 the level of our lives has been adjusted so that, so that it indicates what in fact is, is, is level. And he says, see, it's the only intelligent, the only rational, the only thing that makes sense for you. This is, this is how you were built to live. And this is a, a, a critical thing for Paul. And for us, I, 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 I would argue that, that, at, that at some level, um, we've, we've, it, Paul is fundamentally saying, you live in a universe defined by grace and mercy. So don't live 24-7 as if you didn't. This is, this, is, this is the universe you live in. This is the reality. The mercy and grace and love of God is the universe you live in. Don't live as if you didn't. Imagine, for example, if somebody had, 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 had left you an inheritance and in your bank account right now was a million dollars. Would that change how you lived? Would that reality perhaps change how you lived, how you, how you negotiated life. Now, for some of you, not, because your life has been calibrated in, 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 in a way, and that might not be the best example for you. Uh, but there are uh, multiple examples, right, uh, as, you can, as you can think through. What's the reality that shapes your soul? Don't live as if it were not the case. Dallas Willard, my mentor at Fuller, uh, grew up in Missouri, and he can still remember... When on the farm, electricity came to the village that he was raised in, in Missouri, as a result of the Tennessee Valley River, River Project in, in, the, in the 30s and 40s. He can still remember when electricity came. He, he grew up with kerosene lamps, right? And, and he said for, for, for years after electricity was available in people's homes... Many of them still lived as if it were not. They still lit their homes with kerosene. Right? That's what Paul's saying. Power is available to you. Don't live as if it weren't. Mercy is available to you. Don't live as if it weren't. Love reframes your whole Sense of self. Don't live as if it didn't. It's the only intelligent thing you can do. That's what he's saying in verse 2. The universe, Jesus' version is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's available for entrance. Now, repent. Repent means 
to live a new way in the light of new realities. You see? So, so, so the things that we take advantage of, the, the, and, and Paul is just saying, now, that's true. So we reorient our whole lives in the light of that. It's the only intelligent thing we can do. What else would you do but offer yourself up to a God who has already demonstrated Himself to be merciful to you? What else would you do? It's the only, it's a no-brainer. Right? So then he goes on and, and he suggests that this then, uh, and we don't have verse 3 on here and we don't need to look for it, but I want you to notice if, you, if we followed on in verse 3, Paul goes on and begins to talk about uh, the life that flows out of this worship, which is a life of service. Everybody's got gifts. Everybody's got graces that have been given to them. So in verse 4 and 5 and 6, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. However, think intelligently. You've been given gifts. Begin to use them. So one of the things that worship does as well is reorientate us to service. So re- reorientation of our soul, it recalibrates us to the, to the, to the uh, you know, it realigns us, if you will, and, and, and then it sends us back out. And, and you, this, by the way, is the true test of worship. If worship is just about me having a good time with Jesus and, and Jesus' friends, then that's not the kind of worship that is whole being reorientation that Paul is challenging us to. That kind of worship that he is challenging us to gets us out the door of the church to be the church in the world where, where we are most desperately needed. Yeah? So he, he is challenging us and, and pointing us in this direction. Then he goes on in verse 2 where it says, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And this is the, the kind of the point that we wanted to get to for our Advent introduction. Worship is one of the primary ways that we can push back against the pressure to conform. Against the pressure to be defined from the outside in. Against the pressure to fit in and be like everybody else. Against the pressure of the world's values and systems. Because I am not defined by what I own. Because I am not defined by what I do. Because I am not defined by all of these external things. Right? I don't need to allow them to push in on me. But I do need something that pushes back against those. How many of you found the pressure to conform pretty, pretty intense? Just three or four of us? Apparently you haven't been watching TV. Almost, I, I, I was thinking about this in preparation for the sermon this morning. I was, I was looking at, you know, it, 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 just, just, we just look around over our Thanksgiving uh, celebration over these past few days. We just had a, a wonderful time of rest and relaxation with family and friends. It was, just, it, was, it, it was a good time. But I was realizing how much of what we take for granted has been defined for us by somebody outside, the kinds of uh, entertainments on uh, the kinds of uh, cars we drive, the kind of clothes we wear, the kinds of jobs that are acceptable. The kind, I mean, on and on and on and on the list goes. And, and again, I'm not saying, you know, you know be weird be, for the sake of being weird. But Paul is suggesting that if we're not very careful, our being will be shaped by some force external to us, and we're not going to like the outcome of that. 
So he says the way to push back against that relentless pressure to conform, to fit in, is worship. How does it do that? We'll talk about that in just a second. But worship pushes back against the pressure to conform, against the pressure to be defined from the outside. in. And, and while I'm at this, I'm, I, usually when we think about this, we usually think of it in terms of, of um, secular world, right? The, the philosophical systems or the uh, materialistic systems of the external, quote-unquote, secular world. But I just need you to know that there is as much pressure to conform in the church world and spirituality as there is in terms of the car you drive and the place you live and the person you marry and so on and so forth, right? So, so they have people that want a spirituality that's like somebody else's. I want a walk with God that is like somebody else's. That's external pressure to conform. What God wants you to be is you. He only has one of you. So show up. He's never going to ask why you weren't more like somebody else. He might ask why you weren't yourself. You'll never become yourself by trying to be somebody else. Worship orients us to God as the, as the giver of mercy, orients us to others as the uh, uh, recipients of service, and orients us to ourselves as beloved, precious, chosen sons and daughters of God in whom He is well pleased. I don't know about you, but during the course of my week, that takes a hit pretty consistently. It's not uncommon for me to come to the end of a week and have taken a number of hits at just the core level of identity. Anybody else? So worship recalibrates our soul to who God is, to who we are, and to who those we are in relationship with are. And in so doing, it pushes back against this self-definition by stuff. Self-definition by ownership. Self-definition by possession. And as such then, it opens the door to Advent where the hopes and fears of all the years are met in a tiny little baby that comes needy into our lives. Yeah? So worship enables us to push back against that, and it sets the table for transformation by the renewing of our minds. Because our minds are renewed when we refocus them, when we recalibrate them. As a man thinks, Jesus said, in his heart, so is he. If you want to change behavior, we need to change the focus of our mind. A lot of, uh, a lot, and that is really hard work. Really hard work. So worship gives us a vocabulary of transformation. It is one of the things uh, I, I, um, I, I constantly work on some of my classes. One of my classes at Vanguard is uh, spiritual disciplines. And part of the assignment for that is to memorize five chunks of Scripture. Uh, and, 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 and the reason I want to do that is if we don't memorize it, it never percolates down into our souls and never then percolates down into our feet. Right? If all we do is read Scripture, it never gets a chance to read us. If all we do is be informed by Scripture, it doesn't ever have a chance to form us. 
So if I want my mind to be transformed, I've got to put stuff in there that is transformative in nature. And the principal thing that does that is worship. Worship gives me a big picture of God. A transformed mind follows that trajectory of thought. The images in some of the songs we'll sing later this morning give you an opportunity to change your mind from what you may have come in with. The greatness, grandeur, and glory, and goodness of God will reorient your mind, renew it, and enable you to be transformed so that you can push back against the pressure to conform. Do you see how it, how it works? So worship enables us uh, to do that. It sets the table and then recalibrates our mind to reality. Look at what Paul says is going to be the outcome of this. At the end then, you will be able to test and approve. And, and the Greek more accurately says, at the end you will have demonstrated that the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. The word perfect here is not moral perfection. It's the Greek word telos, which means uh, uh, complete. The, the outcome of your life you're, you will live a complete life. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but those three words, that's not a bad, bad thing to have at the end of your life. To be able to look back on your journey, however long it was, 50 or 60 or 25 or 35 years or 100 years, look back on your life and say, this, is, this has been good. This, is, this has been pleasing. That's not a word that we often associate you know, I, I grew up believing that God didn't want me to be happy. He wanted me to be holy. That was my church tradition. Anybody else? No? You, you know? And, and at the end of the day, I realized, no, no, wait a minute. God laughs regularly. Happiness is not oppositional to the will of God. And Paul says it right here. This is a life of pleasure. This is a life that is pleasing to you. This is not some dull, dreary drudgery that He is calling us to. The will of God is not whatever it is you don't want. Anybody else? You know, I'm afraid to ask when I, for the will of God because He'll make me go to... or He'll require me to give up or He'll take away... Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whenever He does those kinds of things, and sometimes He does, it's not because you ask that His will be done. It's because He wants to give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes our hands are so filled with trash, we have no capacity even to receive the desires of our heart. So Paul says, if you offer this up as worship, at the end of the day, you're going to be happy. You're going to look back on your life and say, this is good. This is pleasing. I can't think of a better way to... And this is complete. This is complete. My life is as full as it could have been because I reoriented, recalibrated my life in the worship of God. Does that make sense? And He invites us into this adventure, into this wonder that, that, that shapes us in this way. So that worship 
enables us finally to become fully ourselves. Worship enables us finally to become the men and the women that God has created us to be. Because knowing who God is, we are enabled to know who we are. This Thanksgiving weekend gives us the opportunity to push into that Advent season. Advent typically comes, as I mentioned before, on the, 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 the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm, maybe you can join me in, in, in our relentless desire to keep Thanksgiving Day Thanksgiving Day and push back against those who would make it Turkey Day. It's not Turkey Day. I'm grateful for Turkey, but it's not Turkey Day. It's a day of thanksgiving that sets us up for a life of thanks living. It shapes us in that way. And Advent, first Sunday, gives us a posture of grateful dependence. Thanksgiving says, I'm not my own. I'm the sheep of your pasture. I'm your son, your daughter. That's who I am. I am because you are. If he were to stop thinking of us, Colossians tells us, if he were to stop thinking of us, we would cease to be. So we orient ourselves in dependence with thanksgiving. And that is an entrance into worship. To a world that in this season shouts more, thanksgiving says, enough. Enough. So as we prepare ourselves for Advent, I'm going to invite you to begin with thanks, to begin with worship, to begin by setting the table for the transformation of mind. We're going to do it here in these next few minutes as, as Pete and the, and the team come to lead us in our worship to God. But as, as he comes, I'm going to, and, and the rest of them come, I'm going to invite you to, to begin to think about uh, taking a step further in whatever your worship offering here is. Remember, this is a microcosm of how we live out there. And so, so I'm going to invite you, however you want to do that, to take a half a step, a whole step forward in your worship to God this morning. Uh, whether that means you're going to raise your hands... Uh, in, in, in surrender. That's part of uh, Advent, right? Whether, or, or to raise your hands and open them up to receive. That's, or raise your hands and offer. Maybe, maybe standing or sitting or kneeling is your response that embodies a whole body offering. Maybe going to the crosses and having somebody pray with you or accompanying somebody to the table of the Lord. We're just going to take some time and enter in to worship. Father, I thank You for uh, Your mercies which reframe, redefine, reshape our entire existence. When we worship, O Lord, we learn who You are. We remind ourselves worship is ascribing worth to You. You are the most worthy being in the universe. And when we sing songs that celebrate that, when we turn our attention, when we think thoughts that attend to that truth, our whole soul is recalibrated. 
our minds are renewed. We're brought back into an into adjustment with reality. So I pray, Lord, that as we lift up our offering this morning, as as prelude to whole life sacrifice, that you would receive it, that you would reorient us to yourself in Jesus' name.